Welcome to the Gold Digger podcast series, a series that investigates the mysterious decline of Australian Rugby Union. It's a fan's journey into the void to pick up the pieces of Australian Rugby Union and find a path forward to fortune and glory. And we're on. We're Welcome on, back, Welcome. Mr. Maj. Welcome back to the podcast, Matt Dorant. Uh, director of photography with a feature documentary that is now seen to the Australian public. How does it feel? It feels, you know what, it was a long time waiting, but it feels great. It's nice to just throw on binge and be like, this might give my... Uh, might yeah. give this doc a watch. Why not? It's there. <laughs> just go, yeah. yeah. Did you see, have you been dropping it in at like, you go to the coffee shop. They're oh, like, oh, so what you do? Oh, I just saw my film last, uh, last weekend. You on, know what? Uh, I've literally, I've had three inquiries of like work and they're like, so, you know, what do you do? I'm like, just go and binge, mate. Simple as that. <laughs> <You're>, yeah. <laughs> All is revealed on binge, binge, brother. Um, yeah, no, look, it's been great. I, I can't lie. It's, it's, it's a huge relief. You're right. It, it's not like a, oh, you know, we've done it. It's like, you know, look, you, you, people are making films and putting them up all the time on various things. But for us, for our big, our big, uh, our big first debut, uh, and to have it come out when it did come out. And then the responses I've had has been great, you know, and look, oh, there's, there's it's the been overwhelmingly things. positive, which is, is great. I suppose if people are negative, then they just won't say anything at all. But certainly there've been some good, some good comments. And that's sort of what we thought we wanted to do after our last episode was give people an opportunity to throw some questions mm. at us. Yeah. Uh, we'll try yeah. and answer them as best as we can. You know, what my favorite thing is about it being on binge is when like, mm. let's say you've been watching other movies, like big Hollywood mm. movies, and it's in like the continue watching section. We're just among yeah. some of the greatest films ever, you know, bit of the Godfather here, maybe, uh, Maybe the Stranger Things here, and we're just in the middle of it. Like you want to, it just feels really cool to see our work in between other projects. I know that's super random, and yeah. it's just you know that's just how the, the app presents well, its itself. But well, it's, it's just we so were, cool. I think, yeah, when when it was first came on, I think we it it had sort of new feature, and it was up there with like House of Dragon, House of the Dragon, House, yeah, House yeah, of yeah, the yeah. Dragon, House of Dragon, or something like that. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool. Like, you know, not sure if Game of Thrones people are well, are. Was uh, this on the latest arrival? Hey, you never know. You on never the latest know. arrival section, yeah. is that what you're talking about? Yeah. yeah, yeah. When it came on the latest arrival section, that that got me pretty hyped, to be honest with you. I'm when like, when oh, you've oh. had enough of watching dragons and uh, sex and violence, watch um, go watch uh, a rugby documentary. Um, yeah, no, it's it's cool, man. It's been great, and you know, once again, shout out to uh, I guess Foxtel Binge and uh, everyone associated with with helping it get out there. And look, I'm going to make some mentions later on in this episode, but there is hopefully uh, some new some new news in the coming weeks, maybe months, but certainly by the end of this year, we're hoping to have some other um, countries announced, which would be great because I know I've got a few few listeners and a few people from different countries who have been saying hey when can i watch it and when's it going to come out but should we just jump into some questions i think kind of we'll, we'll, we'll make this a short sharp q a episode and i think like people have been following the podcast for a while so they probably they probably have a lot of additional insights into what's been going on or in and around the documentary but now that it's out and they can ask specific questions and i've got a bunch that have come through but i, I want to ask there's a few that have 
come in that I've sort of heard from people that I want to talk with you. And they were about the film. So firstly, it was sort of how um, how did we shoot the film? Like, how did we actually kind of go about shooting it? I guess in terms of you know equipment and and other things. Do you want to? Well, do you want to? Yeah. I'll, how I'll, about you I'll, ask that one, Mister Mister Director of Photography? I'll uh, I'll elaborate there. Um, okay, so back what 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 year was it? Two thousand nineteen. End of two thousand nineteen, yeah, right? Yeah. So, end of two thousand nineteen. Yeah. So I was really just getting my feet grounded uh, in terms of learning all things film. So to be mm. honest with you, I mean, you as a director didn't have much of a choice <laughs> as to what gear because <laughs> yeah, I didn't yeah. have much. I was a bit limited, but um, we, we basically used all we could. Um, and what did we use? So uh, the main camera we shot on was a, a Sony a7 III. That was our main body camera, our main A cam. Well, it was our only camera. So it was our A cam and our B cam for, for all the times mm. we were shooting B-roll. Um, lenses, I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure we we used a range of Tamron zoom lenses. Um, I think there right. could have been yeah. some Sony lenses in there as well. But yeah, look, I think in terms of prepping it, you know, like we we had what we had, and I guess we just worked within those boundaries. Um, but to be honest with you, based on what I did have gear wise, then we did a really good job. I mean, the lighting was a bit shonky. I won't lie. Um, yeah. But it did it. You know, it it did it. It did a really good job. And and hopefully you'll see as the as the doco goes along, um, the interviews obviously all kind of mixed up, but you'll see some really nice setups towards mm. the end of, the, uh, you know, towards the last couple of interviews uh, we got where just the lighting was better and the, you know, things were just a bit more cleaner and, and more professional. Yeah. So um, there, there was not a hundred percent of, pl we did talk a little bit about how we wanted it to look, but obviously, you know, wanting it to look like we, we had a bit of a um, idea of, of how we wanted it to look, but you know, very hard to execute when you're walking into all these different homes, all these different mm. locations, like, you know, and, and you're getting there setting up recording and leaving. So you don't have any time to prep before you yeah. shoot in the house or wherever we were, but otherwise, yeah, I think we did a bloody good job. <laughs> look, the run and the run and gun approaches, like, they call it to filmmaking is often what's used on documentaries so you have a camera crew and you're often you're recording waiting for things to happen you're almost like recording at all times so you know you are just responding and so mm. you know focuses will be out i don't feel we were like that because i i'd sort of planned the shoot so that hey we're going to go and watch a game we know that there'll be crowds we know that there'll be people we can control these things we can kind of get good setups we can we know when you know the action's going to be happening in the you know, on the field so we can kind of shoot people watching um so yeah it was in in one sense it wasn't like a i wouldn't say it was like a gorilla uh documentary shoot like where we were you know in the middle of a of a busy event and like mm. we're just trying to trying to cat you know chase our tails but there certainly were little moments and, and i think kind of that's sort of where i wanted to sort of if i'm talking creatively i did want it to feel like it we were sort of piecing together an investigation so mm. i wanted to have that sort of feel of a film noir kind of mm. style to some of the shots there's a lot of foreground shots it's almost as though we're we're, we're peeking you know from behind um yeah a, a certain point of view and and i and i hope and i mean I, you, you absolutely nailed that and i think that came through and i i hope it sort of was one of those things that people might have picked up it it, it certainly it, it made it a lot easier to then plan out the film once we had okay this is the style we're going to take and this is the almost the perspective it then made it a lot easier to go okay well what sort of shots do we need um you know what sort of you know footage do we want to try and then piece together to 
you know, mm. you know, the ultimate was being that crime board thing, which was obviously, you know, a bit kind of. When I was cutting it together, I thought this is ridiculous. Yeah. Should I actually Look, do this? Yeah. But it, it it actually was for me the actual physical. Like, I, you know, I was doing that anyway. I, you know, I had in my own house. I had like things up on the board, post-it mm. notes everywhere. So it it was sort of real in the sense that yes, that sort of scene was a little more staged, but there there was crime boards everywhere everywhere but i was going i, I think had it like... needed a stage scene anyway because it was also road yeah. you know what i mean shame i wasn't able to do that that was that was in london that that scene was that it? we yeah so that particular one was we had to shoot because you know and obviously this is sort of the i think there is a question from is there a question from um brett about kind of the the, the challenge we perhaps we've yes, yes. a couple of I, questions I, I, you know what i'm gonna start firing these questions at you Okay. Far away. All right, here we go. So um, thank you all, first of all, for sending through your questions. We, mm. we really appreciate that, and we can't wait to answer them right now. Here we go. Uh, Brett McKay asks, G'day, Matt. Got to watch the doco last night, and I must congratulate you for getting it done. I'm aware of, uh, uh, I'm aware of and it's clear in the final product, how much work was gone into it. Obviously, COVID was a significant curveball for you, so I'm just wondering how close, uh, how close to you, Sorry, give me a second here. There's a small screen. (laughs) How close to your intended or expected conclusion were you able to get the finished product? Uh, Congrats again. I'm glad I finally got to watching it. Yeah, thanks, Brett. He's—I mean, Brett's—you know—very well known, and he's a—you know—journalist and and writes for the Raw, and and in fact, you know, the the Raw and their their podcast, him and Harry. Um, mate, it's a funny one because I think COVID was a significant curveball. Like it basically stopped our production. We had um, a, a sec- second block of filming plan, including we were going to be interviewing, um, well, we were going to have an interview with the, the then CEO, Raylene Castle. Um, mm. Then COVID comes in, the AGM happens, they announce the massive loss, um, the, the shit fight basically unfolds. She then resigns. Oh, she's, yeah, she resigns. And, um, you know, it was sort of like we were thinking, okay, well, what do we do? And I think that was probably fortunate in the sense that most of the subjects were in Australia. So you guys, the lockdowns weren't as severe as in London where I was. I had to come back to London because it's where I've been based. So I had sort of, you know, a house here and all this and my family. So, you know, I had to come back. I couldn't stay in Australia indefinitely and shoot. So that was sort of certainly a curveball. But we kind of managed because we sort of just thought, okay, well, now we're just going to sort of shoot this kind of in two parts. And, um, you know, you were able to move around. You had kind of a couple of crew to help you on some of the shoots and it was then oh, just me remotely not, dialing in yeah I, that, to be honest i only had crew towards when covid was a little bit more relaxed in terms of like okay we know what it is we know what we need to do but for the yeah. most part i was like solo mm. documentary filming um and one thing you know what if you ask me like the one thing i hated about it and i know that's such a negative but it's mm. going to be so random it was lugging all the gear around bro like it's kilos and kilos of gear and it's just you know in those days when i was by myself i'm just like mm. you were looking fit by the end of the production oh man, man. i was you ripped like, what are you talking about i was walking out doing backflips um well that that's no joke yeah. there is we have to put some footage up of that <laughs> no joke um but i did i did uh what was i gonna uh what was it? Uh, sorry what i wanted to say is um in, when COVID hit, I wasn't worried more so about the interviews. I know I knew we would manage mm. with the interviews. It was that, you know, everything event-wise, entertainment-wise shut down. So you couldn't go out mm. and shoot a rugby game for B-roll or 
or yeah. even like a like a like a grassroots reboot game for B roll. Like there was nothing happening, and that's that's the only thing that like hindered my creativity because mm. it's just like now we're just you know we're kind of just getting all interviews. There, there, there was yeah. that period we did go out through COVID and get COVID related shots, which was pretty much done all around my block, which was really cool because yeah. we couldn't travel much. But um, that was the only thing that I think hindered me. But otherwise, yeah, we definitely got through it with ease in terms of the interviews. The second part of that question actually Brett asked is how close to your intended or expected conclusion were mm. you able to get finished product? I think what it was, was once COVID had hit and we got into the back end of 2020, because the piece was so much about Australian rugby before COVID and was sort of examining the history, I think when at the end of 2020 you had change of ownership, or not ownership, change of management and all these things happening, I sort of felt like, you know what, I think it's time to, we let we let our story in now. We've captured a lot of things. We, we've almost captured that changeover in time. There's now going to be another chapter of Australian rugby ahead. You know, there's more things to happen. And I felt like that was, you know, while it, it wasn't a conclusion, the, the, the goalposts were constantly changing and moving. And I felt that if we try to keep up with that, mate, we could be, we could be here for another two, three years trying to capture the story. So it sort of felt mm. like at the end of 2020, you know, that was probably a time to bring my journey, which is effectively what the film's about, to a, to an end. But then hopefully it, it, it leaves the door open for, um, you know, yeah, what come, what happens next. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Um, All right. Uh, our next, next question. question. Uh, this is uh, this question's from Rugby Fixation Podcast. Thanks, guys. Uh, of all the people you spoke to, whose input slash perspective surprised you the most and why? Great documentary. Already planning a rewatch. What a legend. Uh, that legend, what a legend yeah, part was was to him, not to you, man. Yeah, yeah, rugby fixer. So that's that's Rev. Rev's a great bloke. Rev and his brother. I mean, you know, his brother's sort of um, also involved. But um, oh, look, of all the people, I think the the perspective that surprised me the most. Well, yeah, I think I guess it's fair to say was Rod Kafer. And Rod was, as we all know, you know, a, a, a former Wallaby and had been commentating for well last decade at least, if not more, since his career ended. And super knowledgeable guy and and i think it's always been accepted on his when he commentates that he, he you know he's a really good uh he's got a good a good eye for the game um but I, I just sort of chatting to him i felt like and he was very honest and he'd been quite critical about rugby australia after the um the the announcement of their uh their 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 loss in 2020 and he'd been very public about that so he was you know not not afraid to kind of discuss that and why he said what he said and but you know i found him to be i think there's always this feeling that people like commentators are very negative and pundits are very negative and sometimes they do get paid to be or they get paid to give opinions and often those more negative opinions get more eyeballs and clicks i think we can all appreciate that but i found rod to be still very very honest and very um very informed about his opinions and you know and passionate about the game like you know these guys don't hate the game and they they just they hate what's happened to the game so they're trying to put forward their opinion on what they think is um is mm. the solution and he gave some really and you know he doesn't get lots of play in the documentary i have used a lot of his clips in podcast episodes because he's made some great points around um the talent we have in other codes and and the, and the pathway systems you know his experiences in the Brumbies system when the Brumbies were, you know, probably one of the best clubs in the, in the world. Mm. So, you know, I, I, I sort of really, I, I guess I was sort of surprised cause I wasn't sure whether I knew he, 
was a knowledgeable guy, but I, I was, I was blown away with, with how enjoyable as well the interview was because it was, mm. it was so informative. Yeah, he was great. I remember that one. That was a good one. Um, okay, uh, next question um, from Hugh Tyndall. Uh, his yeah. question was, who were you surprised uh, gave you the time for an interview? Sorry if I'm reading this wrong. It's late at night. No. Uh, and who did you miss <laughs> out on that you really wanted to interview? I bet some people declined an interview but regret it now given how good the doco is. Hugh Tyndall, ladies and gentlemen. Hugh, Hugh Tyndall is probably the 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 number one Australian rugby fan on Twitter. For what everyone. a legend! He's, he's an absolute legend, and he's involved. He's like the most. He's he's probably if if people on Twitter would get caps, he's probably like a two hundred capped player by now. He's mm-hmm. just always every in, into everything and lovely bloke and very very kind. Um, mate, I think. Oh, look, I was surprised that we were able to sit down with Hamish McLennan, To be honest with you, I, I think by the time all the crap had been going on with Rugby Australia, I just felt, you know, I can see. I can see where they're going to go. They're going to not want to have to, you know, talk to anyone who's not sort of, you know, a, 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 a member of the press that they, they know of and that they can control a sort of the rogue independent uh, filmmaker coming in wanting to ask questions about why the game sort of suffering is probably not what we want to do right now. Yeah. And he was new into the job and he was very kind enough, you know, and, and you know, I, I, I haven't heard from him since and I don't know what his sort of thoughts are on... Um, you know the, the the doco, but uh, do you think you've you know, seen it? I hope so, and I and I know that people from Rugby Australia have seen it because um, I've heard from people that know people that work there that they were talking about it. Um, but uh, in the terms of who did we miss out on, there were a couple of people that I really wanted to talk to just because I felt that they had a valuable expense, uh, perspective. One was Justin Harrison, who was and I think still is. Um, the the head of the the rugby union players association and i wanted to know a bit more about how rupa have sort of been involved in a lot of the deals that have happened and you know how the players actually feel about what's happened to the game and you know whether they think decisions been made uh in their you know are are they in their interests and you know just all these sorts of questions that i had and I, i didn't i wasn't able to get uh in front of him i had I had, look, to be honest, I emailed him a number of times and I, I just never got any response. And my general sense from the people that said no, and there are a few others, most of them are now talking, uh, are now working either for Stan or, or other organizations. And they probably just felt, look, is it in my interest to be talking about something that could be critical and, and in, in, in danger my, my, my current job? And, and I can understand that. It's a shame. I'd like to think that they could have given me the benefit of the doubt, but you know, it is what it is, but, uh, you know, we'll see. Mm. Maybe there'll be opportunities on the podcast to, to, to get some of these people on. Yeah, awesome. Uh, these next set of questions are around cutting teams. So this yeah. question's from Mitch Foster. Is there any other way to revive Australian rugby without cutting teams? Yeah. I'm going to just, because I've got these questions down, and then Jack Cudmore also asks, given the backlash to cutting the force, uh, it's clear the toothpaste is out of the tube, so to speak. That's a great phrase, phrasing, uh, Jack. <laughs> Uh, what's the best alternative to help Australian rugby that doesn't mean cutting teams? Damien Guevara loved the film. Where did you land in the dilemma around cutting teams versus the need to grow the game? Um, so much then, detail uh, in these questions. So I know. Much and detail. Dr. Franken credits uh, really likes that documentary. Great insights. Biggest question is if money dictates that we must have five teams, then we need five teams as good and cohesive as the circa three team era teams were. Very true. How do we get there? Um, now, 
I, I, I've just grouped these together because they're all about the same question. This has probably been a pretty common thing I've been talking to people. So, you know, the, the film, and we've got a video out there on YouTube, which people have watched, it, it sort of details the fact that, yes, Australian rugby um, was performing much better when we had two provincial teams and then a third. And things have sort of dramatically fallen off a mm. cliff since then. At, in the professional realm, um, what I think kind of the, the, the main takeaway, and look, I'm obviously, I'm a Perth guy, growing up in Perth, um, played WA as a junior, I'm, I'm still support the force. So I don't want to see the force get chucked out because it was very painful. And by that same token, I don't really want to see the rebels get chucked out because, you know, there are people in Melbourne who, uh, you know, are just as passionate as me about their team. And, and I don't think it's fair that we've gone down this path as it's been sort of pointed out before, it's sort of like lining up five kids and saying, you know, choose three or choose four. You can't do that. We're now in this predicament where we have five teams. So we either have to figure out, can we make it work by saying, okay, well, maybe we have a merger so you can still preserve two teams, but they emerged, or we stick with five teams and we make those five teams successful. Um, I think to you know, answer Mitch's question, yes, there are other ways. There are lots of ways, I think, setting in a third tier system an old nrc so you have teams underneath the top five teams so basically a you know a reserve grade comp um that enables guys to get all that game time like as they do in new zealand with the npc as they do in south africa with the curry cup um how would you do that i, I was chatting to someone the other day and i thought you know i'd love to see a rebels uh brumbies force reserve grade side play in the either Sydney or Brisbane comps. Uh, I don't know whether they'll ever do it, but it's, it's similar to what the Kookaburras did many years ago when they played uh, in uh, the Queensland, uh, the QPR and the Shoot Shield before they got cut out because they were, they were beating everyone. But like that sort of stuff is definitely going to have an impact on improving the depth and the quality. And I think it's true. We, we've sort of passed the point where I think if they were going to ever shrink down, it was probably going to happen back in 2020 when COVID hit and the game was on the brink of bankruptcy. That would have been the time where they could justify it. I think now they've steadied the ship. They've got uh, a loan from or an advance on their money from World Rugby to keep cash in. And they've now got a World Cup imminent and a Lions series. So it's like there's now numerous ways in which they can probably try to finance a way out of it. But you know, absolutely, you know, they're beyond the NRC. There's then ways in which junior grade teams and academies could probably be streamlined and aligned to better improve the cohesiveness of all our clubs. I absolutely agree. All righty. <laughs> Path forward. I, I, I'm going to point out now, you, that, that, and, and look, people have said this. They say, I love that Madge doesn't know that much about rugby union because, mm, and, I, and I, I say this seriously, man, your opinion absolutely matters because it's it's the non-rugby union people who have either been lost or who have, are not getting engaged and the mm. code needs to figure out how do we take you know you're a you're a kid from western sydney and you didn't even know and you know, i'm not having a crack at you you didn't even know who our most oh, I have decorated okay i gotta have a crack <laughs> right now you didn't know who, you didn't know who john eels was when we were setting up to interview him. now Listen. i just laughed because i said well that's that's exactly what we're trying to mm. you know fix here but it's a it's a valid point like how does how does rugby try to market the game better how does it try to get casual fans in how does it just try to sort of get 
the entire nation to at least know, well, hey, these are your these are your wallabies and your mm. wallaroos. These are the men and women who represent you internationally every year. You may not watch the game, you may not understand the game, but at least you know sort of who a few of them are. Yeah, yeah, like so what, it can't be a hard exercise to do. Well, well, I think the one line that I could take out of uh, anyone's interview that we that we interviewed was, I think Rod Kafer, which he was like, I think it was Rod. He goes, uh, um, if you were to buy at any time into Rugby Australia, now's now's the time to buy. Is that correct? Yeah. Is that what he said? Yeah. yeah. And that yeah. really yeah. painted the picture of like how how kind of low this thing's gone. Um, from a business perspective, I understood it that way. So, yeah. Mm. Mm. And and when something's that low, there's a lot of work to be done uh, to build it back up to where it could be. You know, something that whether you you know like not it's not even if you like rugby, it's just like it's like you know yeah like it, to be honest with you, like the knowledge I had of rugby when you hit me up, <clears throat> I played I had played two games of rugby when I was like sixteen, and this tall guy palmed me so hard in the face he never made me want to play mm. rugby again. So I thought I'll just pick up a camera, <laughs> and I did. Uh, so, but but from then on, like I didn't have any idea of 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 rugby, mm. what was happening, the problems. Um, mm. I have learned though. I have le- go test me. I'd like to think you yeah. go test having me. To, go on, do say having, having to sit having, having <laughs> to sit through my edit for like you know a hundred times. Throw um, through something at me. I bet you I'll get it right. Uh, let me just think about that and I'll go for, what's the next, sorry, I'm just looking at the next, oh yeah, so the next question's from, uh, the, the path forward for Rugby Australia, path forward Rugby Australia. a set of those Greg questions, Woods. yeah, yeah, but maybe group them together, as okay, well, I'm going to group them real quick, you ready, yeah, okay, yeah. Greg Woods, Woods uh, asks, got to ask why the poor support for grassroots rugby by RA wasn't addressed, or how majority private schools approach is an issue. I feel like the blaming of WF and and Rebs is low hanging fruit. That's one Actually, question. Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll let me let me answer okay, that okay. one because that, that came through on Facebook. Good old Woodsy. No, he's fair point. Look, he's you know he, he saw it as hey you know you're just copping you know pollen pollen on Western Force and the Rebels. Um, I think the you know the other things to say is we had ninety minutes to tell a story. There was so many other aspects to yes. Um, community officers not getting enough support in all the provinces. You know, New South Wales, I think it cut some community officers really quickly in, into 2020. And already there weren't enough. Um, the, the private schools do their own thing, the GPS systems. They don't work necessarily together with um, the, the schools rugby or, or certainly the, the, the unions when it comes to sort of changing comps. That's a problem. Um, the fact that you don't have enough public schools playing rugby, you know, and again, who's, whose fault is that? Is that Rugby Australia's fault or is it the local provincial unions that are meant mm. to be developing the yeah, community my school game? Didn't. All, all the private schools yeah. up in Blue Mountains did. That's the only reason why I played rugby back in the day because yeah. I think we did like a like a weekend cup or something. I don't even know. But yeah, no, it, and was, I think, it I wasn't think, ever around. I think, look, th- these are issues and we didn't, we, we, we th- there was throwaway lines to them, you know, and we, we touched upon it in a couple of sort of moments of the film, but we didn't, we just didn't go down that, every aspect because it was so hard to encapsulate it all in 90 minutes in the end what we did was we said well let's look at the wallabies because that's obviously what i was very focused on and many other people and and how that has changed and i think that's where obviously you know we then looked at the super rugby structure so as i've sort of said before it's not about blaming the western force and the rebels for coming into existence it's more about blaming the administration for saying hey we made decisions that are now coming back to bite us. How do we make better decisions 
um, knowing what we know. Now we have the full information of what's kind of occurred. And on top of that, how do we then address the problems down below? So how do we get the schools to have more participation? How do we get more combined high schools playing, you know, getting things like the Waratah Cup back to being a, you know, a real sort of showpiece for schools across the state? You know, Western Force have actually taken the initiative already in the last year where they've now got a new schools competition. And um, I'm sure, um, and I don't know Melbourne are trying to do some, some things around getting um, kids in schools into sort of specialised clinics and hoping that flows into their academy. So, like, there is stuff happening um and you know yeah I, I guess we just didn't have enough time but look some of the podcast episodes have touched on that but fair fair cop woodsy thanks for your thanks for your uh thank you woodsy questions all right bradley yeah. brown next question matt do you think it's the right move by ra to pull away from the super rugby pacific if the deal falls through uh no i think it would be suicide if we went on it on our own simple as that thanks we need to we need to find a way to work with new zealand um Yes, they can, you know, feel like they're sort of pushing us around, but we need their teams and they need us, to be honest with you. You're not going to raise the profile of that competition by um, not having all the teams in the region uh, participating. Awesome. Next question is, first of all, apologies if I butch the last name here, but uh, Nick Wasaliv? Wasaliv? Yeah, Yeah, Nick Nick, Nick Wasaliv. Wasaliv, beautiful. Uh, His question is, uh, does the solutions to the problems that uh, face Aussie rugby seem clearer to you now, or are the issues Mm. just as complicated as they were before? Hold on, wait for the best part. Shout out to the cinematography, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) The doggo looks amazing. Uh, I'll just say thank you very much. I appreciate that. Matt, go ahead. Over to you. Look, thanks, Over Nick. So Nick and I, Nick and I, just spoke in a, on, on his podcast for Got Green and Gold Rugby last week. Did you so, pay um, him to say that? Uh, no, that no, that week? was no, not at all, mate. That's all you. <laughs> well, well done, cinematography. Um, do the solutions? I don't know, man. It, it, yes, they are clearer. They're they're a lot clearer, but the I think the solutions are still complicated in in the sense that you know um, h- how does Rugby Australia um, get the states to all sort of work together. You know, how do how do you achieve what say AFL and NRL can do, whereby they can make a change and it just gets made because you know the the top, it's all sort of top down control. Mm. Um, you know, we haven't touched upon, but you know, issues just with rugby's complexity in the laws, and I know this is a big problem at the moment with people like hate the way to see the the games being refereed and officiated. Well, that's all world rugby. You know, rugby Australia can't do anything about that. So, um, therefore, Aussie rugby has to sort of just try and figure out, well, how do we work with the the game as it's played now and make it interesting for people to watch? Um, but, yeah, I mean, the solutions are definitely clearer. I just don't know if um, the the execution is going to be as easy. Awesome. All righty, next question's from the Waratah guy. Shout out, Waratah guy. Uh, you answered, well, it's, I don't even know if it's a question, but he said, you answered the question as to the biggest driver of the decline, now the debate about a national footprint versus Wallaby success. No, we can't have both given the current application of the laws in the most competitive market in the world for contact sports. I'll take that as a as a, as a comment rather than a question. Yeah. But what, I'll, what I will say to Waratah Guy um, is national footprint. What is the national footprint? Is the national footprint just a really successful Wallabies team that everyone loves and that can sell tickets in every city? Or is it about having a professional team in every city? So like, does Adelaide now need one? Do we need someone representing Tasmania 
and um, the Northern Territory? Like, is that national footprint? Or can we have what we sort of have, which is five teams and, you know, connections with those other, you know, the teams play in more regional areas. Maybe they have a test up in Darwin um, or maybe they have a super rugby game up in Darwin. Um, my sort of big thing, which I've been saying, I don't know if anyone is really interested, is bringing back the Haguaros, the, the Argentinian team, and trying to work a deal with, with you know, the South Australian government and whoever else to try and get them installed in an Adelaide because then Adelaide doesn't have the pressure of having to support a fully professional team. They just have a fully professional team play their home games there. You know, I think that would be, That'd be cool. know, it would certainly raise the profile of um, of the, the competition by having the, the Argies back in it. But, you know, I think these are the sorts of things they need to kind of just figure out and decide because, yeah, I think mm. we can have an actual footprint and have Wallaby success. It just depends on how you define it. All right, awesome. Uh, uh, this is also a comment by Browse Hosking. I would love to uh, watch it. Can't wait to watch it, uh, but I can't get it in Cornwall, England. Now, Matt, what do we tell the people of beautiful England? How can they watch this? Yeah, well, look, short of you using a VPN, which I'm probably not allowed to sort of um, uh, <laughs> endorse or <laughs> encourage, um, you know, use VPNs responsibly. Uh, I responsibly we are to going to hopefully doco. have some news about the UK soon, and I'm hoping like before the end of this year so please awesome. keep following us on, on socials uh, socials and we will will up we'll definitely be updating you as soon as we we get uh some information. now we've got some future questions here and we've got about six mm. and a half minutes left matt so we need Let's to do it we need to get this out of the way here okay mick ryan thank you for the question mick ryan since and this is actually an interesting one because i'm sure there's mm. a few of these that i don't know about yet uh since the release of the doco has there been any contact from ra or media wanting to discuss and or clarify or congratulate you at all on this doco uh no I've got to be honest. Me too. Um, other, other, other than probably a couple of um, podcasters, uh, I have not had any uh, mainstream media journos or anyone ask me for a story. I did talk to a couple of journos during the making of it, and I've sent them press releases. No one's come back. If and you do know no anyone, RA, reach out. Yeah, look, mate, the inbox is, is open and waiting. If someone wants to chat to us and get a fuller story, I'm not going to read into why that is, whether mm. or not they're just not interested or everyone's too busy there are there i mean there's a world cup going on at the moment in new zealand um the wallaby seasons upon us you know maybe we're just not a, a big news news item but um mate very happy to chat to anyone if they want to reach out uh okay and next question rugby record card a report yep. card sorry uh shout out those guys uh what role do fan podcast documentaries media play in rebuilding australian rugby uh, and yeah. then oh, you, don't worry about that. That yeah, was just and, a response to that. Yeah, perfect. Um, mate, Rugby Record Card are funny guys. You know, another group of people that um, I've interacted with. Uh, it, I would say the role is hugely critical because if Rugby Australia and um, the you know the Fairfax Press or whoever's going to be pushing rugby out into the the masses, if they're not able to sort of get it out there, because we know that rugby struggles to get you know front page, back page press coverage it then falls back on the people who are the independents running podcasts for the love you know people like us who made a documentary of off our own bat you know it's entirely self-funded um countless other people that are writing for the rugby rule they're you know they're all doing it you know for love for, for their for their own enjoyment of the game and and for free that is super critical and if rugby australia and other people can see that and perhaps tap into that and say hey we've got this massive volunteer network of rugby lovers that are willing to promote our game. How can we do? 
how can we assist them with that? How can we support them? And I think that there are some people that could do a lot more. You know, they're willing to do a lot more than just sort of do the odd podcast here and there. So I would say it's a critical role. And if you're listening uh, in the administration, you need to be getting on that, especially with the next, you know, four or five years where they want to promote the game. Alrighty. Hugo Ali wants to know, where do you think Australian rugby will be in five, 10 or 20 years? Uh, in five years' time, we'll have a World Cup uh, on our doorstep, and that will be immense and huge. It'll probably be just as big, if not bigger, as 2003, where there's going to be shitloads of people from overseas. Um, the Wallabies, I'd like to think, by that stage, could be a top four team. I think we've got a young team that we've, if we if we commit with the guys we've got, we don't lose them and we get cohesive and we keep our super rugby teams cohesive and we put in some of the innovations they're trying to do. There's no reason why the Wallabies can't be a top five team. 10 or 20 years, it's really hard to say, but I'd like to think that in 10 years' time, we're, we're going to be better than what we were five years after the last World Cup. So, you know, we'll have things and programs that will, will be running that might have been running for 10, 15 years that will be fully matured. Uh, I'd like to think the women are going to be fully professional by then with professional super rugby clubs. And maybe I mean, I'm sure the women's game is going to be elevated because it is in the Europe and they're putting lots of money. World rugby are putting lots of money into it. So I'd like to think the Wallaroos will also be a top three side, top three or four side. Um, and, you know, I think it will still be a third or fourth preference in terms of winter codes in Australia. But I think that's okay. I do. I don't think that's the problem. I think so too. All righty. Final question. We're two and a half yep. minutes on the board. And this is actually a pretty Done good well. question because yeah. it's quite exciting. I read it before, as you were speaking before, and I'm like, <laughs> you know what? That's such a good title name. Uh, Nelson Dale asks, what level of hope do you have that post-20... I'm going to ask that again because I want this to sound cinematic as hell. <clears throat> what level of hope do you have that post-2027 you could have reason to start part two? Gold Digger. How Rugby Australia found its way shout out nelson uh, dale for such a fantastic question yeah good old nelson he's another fan of the pod and good good mate who i've been chatting to mate huge level of hope i would very much love to do a follow-up i would love to um see where we've gone i would love to be um you know putting probing over all the areas that have been sort of you know improved upon and um and you're right in 2027 rugby will be at its at its peak in terms of exposure so it would be a good time to be pitching something i'm sure there'll be um, a hand I, I, full of problems i probably won't well. even i yeah i'm sure there will be there always are we'll have to across, investigate. across all sports but um mate i would uh probably even be sort of making inquiries pre-2027 around that so yeah no i would i would i i will be doing all my my power and um by then, uh, I, you know, who knows? You and I will be, maybe we'll do another documentary between now and then, but I would love to do a, a sequel comeback uh, film where we pick up where we've left off. and uh, We've got a little franchise on our hands. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Didn't I be that, Man, that type of filmmaker, getting into the franchises? Look, we'll see. Maybe we'll, we'll be up. We're already up there with the House of Dragon and all the exactly. other ones. So, yeah. Exactly. Stranger Things. Um, man, thanks for ripping through those. I hope, I hope they brother. didn't seem too rushed, but um, I think it's nice keeping it short and sharp. And Absolutely. thank you, everyone, for your your questions and your your patronage and watching it. It's been um, a real blessing to know that there are people out there watching it and engaging with it. And, Shout uh, out to everyone. You guys are awesome. Thank yeah. you for watching it. Thank you for supporting. And hopefully we'll be back uh, back on the wheel, creating some good stuff for you all to watch. In the words of Jeff Fennick, I love yous all. 
Peace. Who's Jeff Finnick? <laughs> Man, I'm keeping that. I'm yeah, keeping that in there. Yeah, baby. All right, I'm out. Um, this is the Gold Digger podcast series, a spin-off from the new feature documentary film, Gold Digger, The Search for Australian Rugby, which you can now watch in Australia on Fox Docos via Foxtel Go and Binge, with other territories around the world coming soon. Music from this episode is by Ryan Papahatsis and Brad Vanderlucht from Fade Out Audio. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash golddiggerrugby and follow us on Instagram for pretty pictures and Twitter for banal chatter. Till next time, keep on digging.